On NPR's Consider This podcast, we don't just help you keep up with the news, we help you make sense of what's happening. Like what the case about George Floyd's killing means for the ongoing fight for racial justice, or how to best navigate a pandemic that's changed life for all of us. All of that in 15 minutes every weekday. Listen now to Consider This from NPR. From NPR Music, this is Alt Latino. I'm Felix Contreras. This has been a tough year. A year of living with so much uncertainty, many of us filled with anxiety and concern about the safety and health of our families and ourselves. And unfortunately, a year of loss for far too many of us. And after an entire year of this, many of us are taking stock this week of the year that was in our own lives and the world around us. So this week, Alt Latino also reflects on the year that was, and we're going to do it through voices of folks who have told their stories so eloquently in other places. Every Friday morning, NPR's Morning Edition runs the very popular feature StoryCorps. They have been collecting stories from the pandemic, and we'll hear some of those. We'll also hear some oral histories of the pandemic from Texas, collected by the Voces Oral History Center run out of the University of Texas at Austin. But first up, NPR has been producing an ongoing feature called Songs of Remembrance, in which people who have lost loved ones to the virus remember them through song. Here is NPR All Things Considered host Mary Louise Kelly introducing us to the series and our first story. This week, we're remembering some of the more than 500,000 people in the U.S. who have died from COVID-19 through the music that gave their lives meaning. We're calling our tribute Songs of Remembrance. Today, Lionel Mares shares stories about his mother, Maria Angelica Mares of Sun Valley, California. He says the song his mom loved was I Walk the Line by Johnny Cash. She grew up in Mexico in a small town called San Julian in Jalisco. She grew up impoverished. She worked at a young age until she met my dad and got married and she moved to um, California in her late 20s. She felt at home here for many years. My mom was really a positive person. She was always joyful always loved being with friends, family. My mom would crack up jokes and she would laugh and that would make me laugh too because it's just those sort of moments, you know. I walk the line. My mom liked country music and she will always be like singing along in her car or in the porch. Always a smile on their face, you know. That's what I always remember about my mom, it's the happiness. When I go visit her at the cemetery, I would sing the song, you know, like in my head or on a low voice and you know, I'll keep you on my mind both day and night. Both day and night. And happiness I have known proves that it's right. As I grew older and she became sick and couldn't walk no more. I became her caregiver and it was very important for me to be there for her, to take care of her, you know, give her medication. I felt like a sense of responsibility that I would not let my mom down. You give me calls for love that I can't hide. 
For you, I know I'd even try to turn the tide. She always loved going to the beach because she liked being around the water, and she always loved being active. And when she couldn't drive anymore, I would drive her to those places, to the beach, the mountains, and just spend time with her in nature. I keep a close watch on this heart of mine. I love my mom. I miss her so much, and I miss hearing her voice. And her smile. I keep my eyes wide open all the time. That was Lionel Mores from Sun Valley, California, remembering his mother, Maria Angelica Mores. She was 61 when she died from COVID-19 in April of last year. Next, Margaret Garza remembers her sister, Leticia Gloria, also known as Nina, who passed away at the age of 69. My sister, Nina. Her name was actually Leticia Gloria, but we always called her Nina growing up. She, uh, she was born in 1952. And um, the best description I've heard of her is a kind soul with a very, very um, soft-spoken voice. She was very soft-spoken, very kind, very generous. She came from a huge family. There were seven of us, six girls. Um, when we were growing up in the 60s, I was very, very young and Nina was a teenager. I was, I don't know, five and she was t- 15. Um, music was such a big part of our lives because there were so many of us and we were, we were very poor. We grew up so poor, but having Nina shepherd me around the house, having Nina there with me made life normal. And I always felt like I had a really good childhood. That radio was always on and we would sing. For some reason, when she died, that song, 96 Tears, just kept coming to me. And it's by Question Mark and the Mysterians. And when I was a child, I always thought it was Question Mark and the Mysterious. And it was one that my sister played a lot. And it was one that they would dance to. And um, I don't know, something about that song just to this day reminds me of her. And after all these years, I had not heard that song in many, many years. And when I replayed it recently and listened to the words, it took on a totally different meaning. Too many teardrops for one heart to be crying. Too many teardrops for one heart to carry on. For the tears that we've all been shedding, it's been a lot more than 96 tears, but uh, it's kind of fitting, I think. Julie Seda from Chadsford, Pennsylvania, remembering her friend and former housekeeper, Janet Gonzalez, who died in Puerto Rico on December 31st. Janet was from Santurce, Puerto Rico, and she was a natural caretaker and a very wise person. She was so fun to be around and she made the best tostones the best rice and beans and she made it all seem very easy my best memory of her was when uh, we invited my mother to lunch and she cooked for both of my parents and she wanted to treat them like they were royalty she was so incredibly warm to them just because they were my parents and She didn't have a reason to be like that. You know, she could have just helped in whatever way she could and 
go home. But no, she wanted everybody to feel warm around her and feel well fed and feel special around her. Also, I remember how she would talk about celebrities like she knew them personally. One of our biggest subjects was Mark Anthony and Jennifer Lopez. And we spent hours sometimes just chatting about how she was sure that they were a couple for a long time. And that always strikes me because you know how you have this kind of a friendship that never ends and you can talk to a person one day and talk to her years later and just strike conversations back. So with Janet, our conversations would turn back into funny things like that, but we just had fun about it. It was just a natural friendship. Janet loved Adios Le Pido by Juanes because it's a song that represents who she is, somebody who would trust God. So she'd be working around the house and she was, Adios Le Pido, mi reina. Adios Le Pido. In that song, you, you ask God and he hears you. And that was one of her biggest pieces of advice she always gave me. Don't question God and he will hear you. She just had this ability to connect with people with her cheerful kind of person who would just mumble a song left and right every day as she constantly going into people's houses and doing work they don't want to do. So as we stroke a friendship, it started as just like, help me out with this, but I became part of her family. She chose me as part of her family. That's how I got to know her spirit and that's how I got to know this amazing person. And I want to pay homage to how much she cared for us and for her children, Janita and Jan, to be proud of that. The fact that their mother touched many, many lives in her life in a very positive way. As the number climbed past 500,000 souls lost in this country, we continue to collect stories for Songs of Remembrance. This is Anne Enriquez talking about her mother, Adelia Enriquez. I lost my mother, Adelia, and the song that reminds me of her is Diana by Paul Anka. My papa, whenever we did karaoke, we love karaoke. And he would put that song on and he would, you know, be standing up. He would sing to her that song. And he was really pretty good at singing it. I'm so young and you're so old. This my darling, I've been told. I don't care just what they say. Cause forever I will pray. And he would replace the lyric Diana to Adelia, her name. So instead it would be stay by me Adelia my mom would be like kind of like teasingly would whoop 
and, and my mom just loved music, any kind of music. You know, it has a good beat, she'll move to it. And she was just such a vibrant person. That image of my dad singing this to my mom is, is like a photograph that'll always remind me of my mom. I picked up ukulele in the beginning of December just as a way to have a gift for my parents, 42nd wedding anniversary, because you can't hug them. You can't really see each other. And a week before she passed, we didn't get to see each other on Zoom that day. So the next day I went and I sang the Poanka song and I replaced Diana with Adelia. And that really by far I could not have asked for a better last time seeing my mom than that. Here's NPR All Things Considered host Michelle Martin with our next tribute in song. More than 500,000 Americans have died from COVID-19 since the pandemic began. It's such a staggering number, it can be easy to lose focus on each individual. So in recent weeks, NPR has been remembering some of the people we've lost through the music they loved in our Songs of Remembrance series. Today, we wanted to acknowledge that the coronavirus is a global pandemic and hear about one of the more than two and a half million people lost to the virus internationally. Here's Christina Gomez remembering her father, Anibal Gomez, from Bogota, Colombia. The song that reminds me of my father, Aníbal Gómez, is a deep piaf's No, I regret nothing. No, absolutely nothing. No, rien de rien. It's a song that he loved. And whenever he would listen to that song, he would get very sentimental. You know, his, his, his face would drop. And you would look at him and you could just see that he was feeling immensely. Those feelings were just very strong, you know, when he listened to that song. It absolutely exemplifies the way that he lived his life. The first part of his life where he had this brilliant career, very successful, and then at some point during his midlife he made some Um, different choices and that's when probably the marriage with my mother ended and a couple of relationships ended and I think that's why this song is important because if if someone just had a regular life and uh, they weren't controversial or they weren't flawed well to say I I regret nothing is different We became very, very close-knit during the last maybe 20 years, but especially during the pandemic because he came to live with us because he had a lot of health issues. So we brought him to this very, very, very remote small town and he lived with us here for a few months. And that was just a really, really special opportunity to be with him and for him to be with my children completely confined in a house for many months. Um, had an absolutely wicked sense of humor. 
and uh, he brought that to the table. In this last part of his life, somewhere around midnight, he would go upstairs and change into this white sort of John Travolta suit and then come down the stairs and start dancing. And he had this little show that he would put on. And it was just, it was hilarious. And he was a great dancer. So it was, you know, it was fun to watch. So, so he was able to be who he wanted to be um, until the last day of his life. That was Cristina Gomez in Colombia. She was remembering her father, Aníbal Gomez, and his favorite song, the unforgettable Je ne regrette rien by Edith Piaf. And our final songs of remembrance is from Yamiro Camino from New York City, talking about her tío, Daniel Pazmino. His name was Daniel Pazmino. Um, so his nieces and nephews, we just called him Tío Daniel. When I was talking to my cousin Daniel yesterday, his daughter, um, it was hard for even her to like uh, pick a song because he just, he played so many constantly. We each have our own individual song that reminds us of him and all the memories that we had. And, you know, Desperado by Marta Sanchez, that's, that's mine. That's the one that I resonate with. Honestly, he was a lot of things. He was a son, he was a brother, he was an uncle. He was with his wife for over 20 years, um, and they had two girls. He was the cool uncle, uh, for sure. He was the cool uncle of the group. He was 53. He was young, hip. He loved all types of music, which is why he installed these huge speakers in his car just to blast it while he was driving. Like. It was something, honestly, out of, like, Pimp My Ride. My family, they're from Ecuador, and we grew up on the Lower East Side. So he would always just leave the car doors open and just blast music out of his car, you know, while the older folks, they would just, like, sit in their beach chairs on the block. So the song, uh, it's about being just lost and desperate because you're not with this person. Um, it has such an upbeat rhythm to it that it, it just makes you want to dance. You know, it gets you in the mood. But then when you actually listen to it, like it's a, you know, pretty sad song. It's about, you know, this person who's just so desperate that she was in love with this person and they're not together anymore. So every time I just, I listen to it, I just think of him because that's exactly how I feel. I'm just... You know, everybody who knew him is just desperate for him to come back. I think my entire family at this point, like, you know, we're not really trying to dwell on, you know, everything that's happened because we're not the only ones who were put in this situation. Um, but... We're trying to honor his memory, just appreciate him and the memories that he gave us and, you know, all the songs that remind us of him. 
You are listening to Alt Latino as we mark one year living with the pandemic with stories from some folks who have been affected in one way or another. Up next, we go to Texas and the work of the Voces Oral History Center. It's a well-known and respected project run by journalism professor Maggie Rivas Rodriguez from the University of Texas at Austin. They have expanding their collection of oral histories to reflect the realities of the pandemic, or Voces of a Pandemic. First up in our series of short testimonials is Paul Saldana, who volunteered his time at a testing center in Austin. I felt like we were living in a third world country where you would have people who felt uh, so much anxiety and despair that they would stand in line and have their kids up at, in a parking lot or in a street at five o'clock, three hours, just before the start of testing. And then depending on how long the line was, they could potentially be there for six or eight hours with their kids waiting in line to get a test, right? And it made me angry uh, and sad and all of those things. And we all went through that whole experience. And so again, for me personally, that's been my personal motivation is to see that that first day, like I said, when I went through that testing, I cried like a baby all the way home. Next up, Jose Martinez explains in Spanish the economic hardship of dealing with the accumulation of medical expenses for someone who survives about with the virus. Mentalmente, como todo, me afect, me afectó mucho también a mí, porque aunque sea yo y mi hijo nomás, que yo soy el que asumo la responsabilidad de todo, de todos los pagos, a veces es duro. Y cuando uno se enferma, desgraciadamente se atrasan de alguna forma u otra en los biles que no lo esperan a uno todo el tiempo, están cayendo y cayendo. Martha Acevedo is an agricultural field worker, someone who many consider frontline workers in this pandemic. She explains in Spanish some hardships they face doing this work. Yo les dijera que aprecien lo que hace el, eh, nosotros, las personas que trabajamos en el field, porque nosotros este, trabajamos desde la mañanita y que aprecien como los jitomates, las cebollas, las papas, los chiles, la ocra, lo, todas la, las frutas, lo que se dice de frutas, lo que se dice de, de verduras, todo lo que se dice de, uh, de comida, ellos que aprecien porque no saben el trabajo que se da a cortarlo. Renee Rodriguez survived her bout with the virus, and here she recounts her moments of fear as she waited for medical aid to help her breathe during her first moments with the virus. And I called Rosenberg uh, EMS, and I said I needed an ambulance ASAP. I was going out. I was checking out. And all oh, along, yeah. it was my meditation practice that helped me survive that that day of life. All those years of being stubborn caught up with me and helped me survive. I knew, and my father had always taught me how to calm my own heartbeats down by breathing. And in your mind, you have to relax through an a, asthma attack, calm your breathing down. And I calmed myself down as I waited and counted for EMS to show up. Please visit the Voices website at Voices Center, one word, that's VocesCenter.org, and Voices of a Pandemic, one word, dot org. And finally, if you're a regular listener to NPR, you know Friday mornings are StoryCorps time on Morning Edition. 
The StoryCorps project was started in 2003, and according to their website, StoryCorps' mission is to preserve and share humanity's stories in order to build connections between people and create a more just and compassionate world. In the earliest days of the pandemic, StoryCorps began collecting stories from people in their homes while they were observing the rules of personal distancing and isolation. Here's former Morning Edition host David Green kicking things off here on Alt Latino. And it is time now for StoryCorps on this Friday. Tyrone Hampton and Frank De Jesus are New York City bus operators. To date, they've lost at least 30 fellow bus workers to COVID-19. In all, more than 80 New York City transit workers have died in this pandemic. Tyrone and Frank had a remote conversation using StoryCorps Connect. Frank begins. My father was a bus driver, and um, he would take me to work with him on days that he had no babysitter. And I just remember that I would sit there right by his feet, and he would give me the microphone, and he would tell me, say, Lexington and 96th Street coming up next. So you would hear me in my little baby voice, Lexington and 96th Street up next. And I loved it. I thought it was the best job in the world as a kid. So I'm here because I love the job. You know, we take a chance every day with snowstorms, traffic, you know, people running in front of your bus. Through all the trials and tribulations, we do like doing what we do for New York City. We do. We have a driver's heart. Yeah. But now our heart is being tested. And it's one hell of a test. Every day that we step foot on that bus, we come home with the possibility of not affecting ourselves only but our loved ones. You know, we see a lot of brothers die, a lot of co-workers lose their life behind this attack. What gives me the most hope right now, I have a good friend, and I see him with a roll of caution tape, and every bus that passes by, he's running in and taping off the seat right behind the bus driver, making sure nobody sits there. So the next bus... I got on with them and I helped them do it faster. And every bus that came on, we did it. You know, once you're against a wall, the only way you could go is forward. I want you to know that you got a brother in me for life now. You know what I mean? If I didn't know it before, I know it now for sure. We're going to make it through this, man. We're going to make it through. Tyrone Hampton speaking with his friend and fellow New York City bus driver, Frank DeJesus. Tyrone, who has underlying health conditions, recently stopped driving. They recorded their conversation using StoryCorps Connect, which allows loved ones to record interviews while maintaining social distancing. That conversation will be archived at the Library of Congress. And to find out how to record your own StoryCorps interview, you can go to npr.org. Next up, we'll hear from a doctor who works in a lab running COVID-19 tests. Roberto Vargas is worried about exposing his family to the virus, so he's isolated himself from his wife and his four kids. He lived in a hotel for a while, and now he's in his basement. And that's where Roberto recorded this remote StoryCorps interview with his wife, Susan, and their 10-year-old son, Javier. When I would go to the hotel room after a long day, and it was just me there, and it was very quiet, that was when I missed you all the most. It got very worrying once I knew the virus was going to be like a big thing. And with you gone, it was way harder. I just missed you. I remember he'd trap groceries off and put them on the front porch. And that's when we started talking through the window next to our front door. 
you would talk on your cell phone and the kids and I would sit behind the window. And I remember one of the hardest nights, I think you were just exhausted. You just had your head on the window and were crying. But eventually you started sleeping in the basement. And I would not let the kids go past the top of the basement stairs. We had to stay far away. But I just felt better that you could be like a part of us. Mm -hmm. It's still very hard, but it's nice to see you, Dad. You have been so helpful to Mom. So thank you, okay? Thanks. I remember once you came into the basement, the best night I had yet, you know, your coworker had made all these different dishes for us. You sat at the bottom of the stairs in a rocking chair, and I was at the top. I remember that, yes. I even remember the food. It smelled so good. It was the first time we had been able to connect in so long. And as crazy as it sounds, it's the best date I've ever had with you in my life. Without you, I wouldn't have been able to do what I've been able to do at work. You have to be absolutely everything to our four beautiful kids. I've never loved you more, and I know it hasn't been easy. Could you guys turn up to cry? It makes me sad when you cry. Oh, sorry, honey. These are tears of happiness. Roberto, I admire you so much. Always admired you, but you've done things these past couple months that seem impossible. What you're doing is a lot harder than what I'm doing. A lot harder. Dad, I just want to say thank you for helping get rid of this virus. That's a team effort, and that team includes you. But what carries me through is this family. That's Dr. Roberto Vargas talking with his wife, Susan, and their oldest son. Next up, a story from the StoryCorps Military Voices Initiative, which records and stores the stories of service members and their families. Army Major Ivan Arraguin is a chaplain who has seen many overseas deployments during his military career. And back in April, he and several other medical units were deployed on U.S. soil. In this conversation, Chaplain Arreguin told his wife what it was like to be stationed in New York City during the height of their battle with COVID. I remember nurses and doctors just began crying, saying, thank you for coming. They were working long hours, dealing with so much death. And so they would pull me aside as I would make my rounds, and I would listen to them and then pray for their strength. And so. I remember I was sitting at my desk and the sergeant major came up and he said, sir, we have to transfer a deceased individual. And we were informed that he was a veteran. We want to know if you can conduct a memorial ceremony. Now, mind you, none of us knew him, never saw a picture of this individual. And yet we understood that there was a bond between him and us. And I said, sorry, major, I will lead you. And they said, Chaplain, whenever you're ready. And uh, I remember my soldiers pulling his body out of the refrigerator, draped in a black bag. And soldiers began walking out, all at attention. And as we pass each soldier, they began granting final salute honors. And we stopped right in front of the hearse. I had a word of prayer, and nobody moved until the hearse was already out, moving away. As a chaplain, I took a note to respond to 
the needs of my nation, to care for the wounded, nurture the living, and honor the fallen, honor the dead. And when COVID-19 is finally declared complete, I might go back to New York sometime. And I just wonder what it's going to feel like to walk down those streets and say, man, I was here when this happened. And I'm thankful that I was given that opportunity to serve my nation that way. That was Army Chaplain Ivan Arraguin from Fort Hood, Texas. Jorge and Jessica Valdivia are next, talking about their big brother Mauricio, who died from COVID last year. One year, mom and dad had a business venture, and it didn't go very well, and we were broke. Mauricio had dropped out of high school. He was working at a factory, and I think he was a little to realize what was happening, but it seemed like we weren't going to have Christmas gifts that year. And on Christmas Eve, Mauricio showed up with a bunch of gifts for everybody. That's the year that I got my very first Transformer. I still have them. It was Optimus Prime. What is your best memory of Mauricio? Oh, wow. I had just graduated from high school. That summer, I started the process of coming out of the closet. Mauricio was the good-looking one that always had all these girls, and he was the cool guy in the neighborhood. And I didn't know how he was going to take it. I remember he came in the kitchen. He's like, so is it true? And I said, yeah, it's true. He's like, okay, I just want you to know that I love you and I accept you. And if anybody messes with you, you let me know and I will kick their <laughs> That's very accurate. That was Maori. I could have been having the worst day and he somehow knew how to comfort me. You know, I think there's always that one person that goes out of their way to say that they love you and they're proud of you. And in our family, that was Maori. To find out that the person who brought so much joy is now fighting for their life in the hospital and you can't see that person. You can't tell him that you love him. You can't hold his hand. All of those things just made it much worse. I wish that I would have told him I loved him more. And that I was proud of him. He did know that. I know he knew that. His death has made me realize that there's so much out there that I haven't done, that I've been wanting to do, and the time is now. You're right. Mauricio was able to teach us to live in the moment. And, you know, life is a party. Enjoy it. That was Mauricio. That was Jorge and Jessica Valdivia talking about their late brother, Mauricio. Next up, NPR host Lulu Garcia Navarro introduces our next StoryCorps story. Time now for StoryCorps. For the past 16 years, Jorge Munoz and his family have been cooking hot meals for day laborers waiting for work on the sidewalks of Queens, New York. Recently, Jorge spoke with his sister Luz about how it all began. I remember one day... We were having lunch. Somebody knocked on the door. Mommy get up and see who it was. She came back and they said, that's a guy asking for something to eat. And you, Georgie, you just get up and give him your meal. You were seven. <laughs> we learned that from her. She says, we have a home, food to eat. But some of them, they don't have nothing. So just share. We don't have a lot of money. 
we sleep all of us in one room, mommy, you and me. And it was hard, like having sometimes one meal, two meals a day. Then when we start working, we got a little bit lift. I was working as a school bus driver. And one day I noticed seven guys waiting for uh, someone to pick them up and go do any kind of job. It was raining and they have no job that day to buy food. So I tell them I have some food at home. And that's when the idea starts to cook for them. What was your first reaction? Oh, you are crazy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I was happy because we can help you. Mom was doing the rice. I was chopping the onions and you were doing tomatoes. I mean, the kitchen was small for us, but we were together. We went 16 years straight until the first week of May. A pandemic stopped us. What gives you hope or strength now? I don't know how to answer that. I mean, I feel good. You do not need to be rich to feel what I feel. Just willing to do it. At the end of the day, when you handle a meal and you see that smile in their faces, that smile pays for everything. That was Jorge and Luz Munoz. They spoke using StoryCorps Connect. Jorge is counting the days until he can go back to feeding day laborers in Queens. As we are proud to say every Friday, all of these stories will be collected at the Library of Congress as part of the StoryCorps archive. Please visit the Alt-Latino website for links to the Songs of Remembrance series, the Voces Project of the University of Texas at Austin, and the StoryCorps website. We are at npr.org slash altlatino. And thanks to all of them for sharing their stories with us. You know, there probably isn't anyone on this planet who hasn't been touched in one way or another by this disaster. And it's important to remember those who fell victim to the virus. You know, early on, I heard someone refer to the virus as a teacher. And the lessons are there for those of us who pay attention to such things. Like we are all indeed connected in so many ways that we didn't realize before the virus started spreading among strangers. That this hunk of atoms and minerals hurtling through space is both sturdy and delicate and should be treated accordingly. And probably most important of all is that life is fragile. It can be taken away at any moment for any reason. So while we are here, we should reconsider the lines that divided us before this crisis and instead treasure what we all have in common. It's not easy to do, but for the last year or so, I've been trying to do just that, and it's helped me tremendously to cope. You have been listening to Alt Latino from NPR Music. I'm Felix Contreras. Please be careful out there, folks. Please be careful.